Hello, and welcome to Generation AI, a podcast where we demystify artificial intelligence in the world of higher education. I'm your host, Artis Kadu, and joining me today is my insightful co-host, JC Bonilla, Dr. JC Bonilla. Hey, JC, how's it going? Hello, everybody. Hello, artists, and hello, friends. So excited because today in this podcast, the specializes the intersection of this amazing boom AI, the generation that is benefiting from it, the news change. So today we have something so special, radical, a hundred dollars artists that this shapes AI forever. We have something to talk about it that is that monumental. What is this all about artists? So we're going to try a news episode, very timely. And one of the things that we want to bring you is not just things that are a little bit more evergreen, but news that is happening in the market today and is very relevant. We're going to talk about the New York Times lawsuit against OpenAI and Microsoft. The lawsuit was filed on December 27, 2023, so right before everybody goes on break for the New Year holiday. And today we have a response from OpenAI on that lawsuit. So we're going to spend the next 15 to 20 minutes going over why this is so important to us, what does it mean for AI advancement, and also what does it mean for you as an end user or as a leader in organizations around AI as well. An artist. People would say, a lawsuit? How is this important? Let's go back to the legal timeline. Chat, GPT, and OpenAI do their thing in October 2022. And by February of the following year, so about four months in, there's already a lawsuit from Getty into Stability AI. And basically, the collection of legal frameworks and you know challenges emerge. But this is so monumental because as we're going to come and unpack, may set up the right milestones for acceleration or deceleration on AI, generative AI, as it relates to copyrights, IP law, and all these really interesting nuances on how the data is collected and how the LLMs are trained. And I want to go over, because this is a little bit different, there's been other lawsuits before from authors and from content providers. However, this is very significant because it has some teeth and specifically around what New York Times is claiming in this specific lawsuit. What New York Times is claiming is that there is a copyright infringement here. It alleges that OpenAI and Microsoft have infringed on its copyright by using millions of its articles to train chatbots like ChatGPT. And not only that, but copyright, you have to prove that it's not fair use. You have to prove that you're using the content. It's not transformative enough. And to prove that there's harm in terms of competing for the end user's attention. So in this case, New York Times is claiming that because this information or because these articles are not transformative enough and somebody can bypass, you know, can use ChatGPT to read these articles because they are provided word by word, they are able to produce some of them word by word. In this case, the New York Times has presented evidence that includes near word-for-word -word exceptions of the articles generated by the chatbots to support its claim. And then this is after there was failed negotiations between New York Times and OpenAI and Microsoft to explore a licensing agreement. So this happened right after that. The legal strategy here for New York Times, rather than looking at other copyright suits, essentially they're providing very compelling evidence that these articles could potentially influence the outcome of this case. 
and and they're providing you know side by side articles on how ChatGPT is able to reproduce this this content. Now we can go in and talk a little bit more about what that means in terms of copyright. JC, how do you see this from a copyright perspective? You work on a media company. Be- before we go there, I just I I just want to paint the picture of what this looks like because the commercial model that a newspaper has, right? is to bring you into my resources, copyright the creative process of journalistic output. And then there's a whole monetization aspect of it. An LLM ingests that, and as artists is saying, I can come and chat GPT, co-pilot or whatever your you know, preferred choice of generative AI is, is, and tell me what is important to read today. And then all of a sudden, that LLM can come and tell you these are the three stories, and it's word by word, paraphrasing, or spitting out, New York Times stuff, and you didn't even visit New York Times, right? And the whole commercialization aspect of how they generate the dollars and cents gets bypassed. Number two, tell me what did the New York Times said about artists could do it. And then all of a sudden, the algo can go crazy, can hallucinate, and says artists could do it is the most successful Californian in the tech sector, right? Actually, the algo is telling us what artists next year is going to look like. However, that is the aspect of generative AI, the claim that New York Times is calling, and how it could potentially be filled. What does that mean for us? And how does it thinking about it? Number one, we in the advertisement sector followed a lot what news organizations did in Australia and Canada, where they actually put a tax on links. So recap, I think a few years ago, if you have a social media post and the social media post comes and tells you, click here, right? There was basically an incentive for that click. So if I wanted to reference a New York Times article and I'm in Australia, I put that link. So I have to pay a little bit to the New York Times. Okay. Now that's the only thing that we know how to do. This is different because what this is happening is that I cannot train a f- image. Let's say I want to do a campaign and the image is being trained on on the ground journalistic work that the New York Times is doing on Gaza. So if I wanted a picture to capture the you know interesting conflict between Gaza and Israel today, that will be not available to be trained. So we need to start knowing when can we go and how we can start thinking about this. But the aspect of commercialization, it's very, very important because an organization like us in VaynerMedia will usually carry incentives on behalf of the clients or the platforms that we represent. And in this case, it doesn't exist. So everyone is watching because at the very end, Whatever happens here, it would probably set the foundation of how things are going to play out going forward. So how do I think about it? Oh my gosh, this is step one on how it changes our content production strategy. Right. And one thing to keep in mind as well is one of the other claims is that ChatGPT is hallucinating on some of this production as we know how these models work. uh, And it's attributing stuff to New York Times that in reality doesn't exist. So it's it's making up facts and attributing them, which can ruin the reputation of the publication. And that's another claim that they have against some of these models. But now when we look at it from the OpenAI's perspective today, which is January 9th, 2024, they posted an article, OpenAI and Journalism, and they're claiming there's four points that they make. 
They're claiming that they're collaborating with news organizations and they're creating new opportunities, meaning that they're licensing content and they're adding value and they're providing new sources of revenue for organizations. Their training is fair use. So the content is that they use is fair use, but they have provided opt-out because it's the right thing to do. What that means is that they're scraping content from the web. However, OpenAI has given the opportunity to publications and any website owner out there, a content producer, to add a no crawl or do not scan, very similar to how the Google bots have it. Third, regurgitation is a rare bug that they're looking to drive to zero, meaning that the intended outcome of this is not, you know, it's not regurgitation, that that's something they're going to fix. And fourth is that New York Times, they're saying that it's not telling the full story. So as we dive into all four of these parts, I, I wanted to highlight them because they're super important as we see from the New York Times, those stories that they have carefully orchestrated or they're carefully picked, what OpenAI is saying that New York Times is not telling the full story and suggests that examples provided by New York Times have been intentionally manipulating prompts to use those models to regurgitate the content. So basically what they're saying is that under normal circumstances, this would not be possible. Some of the content that they're picking, they specifically wrote a prompt in order to generate that. They needed to know what their content was. And some of this content was articles that were very old and they were in a lot of other places before, meaning that there's multiple sources of these articles which can contribute to the weights and why the models thought that this was important. So again, there is one side, there's another side. Obviously, the courts will decide on this one. But I wanted to see what would you think about, you know, OpenAI's claim in this case? Obviously, I'll start from backwards on the order as it relates to New York Times not being truthful and telling a full story. Just continuing the drama, the telenovela that, you know, the last quarter we saw with OpenAI now is unfolding. That's interesting. Nothing but speculation. And then as someone listening, love to hear what, you know, what is the jazz, right? As far as that zero policy for, you know, how it shows up in hallucination and bugs, it's part of the technology, right? So I'm not surprised you and I have built uh, algos. They're never perfect. So the evolution, the roadmap of an algo, it's super important. Tesla was here at the beginning of last year with, you know, cars, you know, harming people and famous quote from Elon Musk. You know, sometimes some people need to die to save thousands, right? So that's the evolution of an algo like this. It will make errors in the benefit of getting it right. The part that gets my attention is the second one, fair use. Because I'm not a lawyer and I don't understand the applications of fair use. As an academic, I can bring a case study, I can bring an article from New York Times and they're not gonna sue me. I'm not gonna be sued because there's an aspect of fair use in which I'm using and I'm passing IP, right, in the classroom, and I'm saying, hey, students, you can benefit from this, right? And I, I don't have to pay a subscription, right? Fair use, the way you understand it is that I can use the IP of an organization and build, criticize it, cite it, if anything, and say, hey, I think this is right, I think it's wrong, add my part, and I'm building it. But at the end of the day, you can deconstruct my part to the original. I think that's really interesting, and I see how it gets played out. And then at the end of the day, the collaboration with those organization, that's just all the licensing aspect, right? So how do you assign dollars and cents to this thing? It's going to solve all the problems. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I mean, fair use, we have some famous cases where Google Scholar was scanning thousands and thousands of books and the courts have already agreed and, and ruled 
in favor of Google and Google Scholar because that is a utility type of work is transformative where they are not using it to uh, give access to people to read it, but they're using it so they can be searched in order for those people to get access to those books. So it's not the fact that you're reproducing that work and taking over and having it as a duplicate. But there's a couple of things that go into it, which is, is it transformative enough? Is it used for parody? Is it used in a transformative manner where you're not benefiting from having that stuff on your site and taking away potential revenue and harming them, harming the original creator financially, right? The, the financial burden is one of the things that needs to be proven in a lot of these cases as well. So when we look at this, OpenAI, like you said, they are making a lot of deals with other providers. They're emphasizing their efforts to collaborate with user organizations and, and create kind of these new opportunities and revenue streams for them that were not there before. And then they mentioned that they're working with News Media Alliance to explore opportunities and so on and so forth. So they're trying to, or they're thinking they're building an, a, a news ecosystem that they can do this. The fair use and the opt-out part is really interesting because when they announced last year that they were collecting and they're scraping the internet, they also announced that now you have a way to opt out of these crawlers or their crawler or their indexer or whatever you want to call it. And New York Times has actually opted out of that. So, so future models are not going to have the New York Times content in there because New York Times has opted out of that. However, the current versions of these models, OpenAI and ChatGPT, have them in there, which is, I would say, a loss for them because they have a certain perspective and a voice and, and content that's, that's very valuable to the world and to how we see the world as well. The regurgitation part, again, OpenAI has acknowledged that verbatim regulations of this content is it's kind of a rare bug, right? We talked about that. But that's not something that we should be seeing in the future. And we know how these things work, right? Every single time you're going to get something different and different and different, unless you have very specific prompts, which can be kind of cajoled to, to produce something very similar. Now, let JC, let's go back and say, what are the, the implications of this? If we go and take a look at this from a legal precedent setting, right? What precedence does this set? Everyone is watching. So the first thing that is, it's created from a legal point of view, right, is that if this goes in favor of New York Times, every other news organization is going to jump on this. So legal precedence, in a way, is herd behavior. I sue you, then a thousand other people are going to sue you, artists, right? That's one. One in, maybe many more. Two, we just do not know how to commercialize intellectual property that has been created into an LLM. Does it set the standard and then the law framework is additive or is it going to be destructive? So think about one of the most obscure, untangible things that in a way I draw a parallel in, I don't know how it started, but I know how it works today. So royalties on music. So if I am, I, I was joking about, you know, the nose is Taylor Swift, but you know, Taylor Swift is making tons of money because her records are being played out. How does that take place? I think it's almost not even three cents on a dollar, but 0 0.3 cents on a dollar for Spotify plays. Very easy to just compute how many times it got played out. Multiply that times 0 0.3 cents, she gets a check. Or an estimation of how many times a radio station has played it out. They estimate that. And based on the revenue they generate, they get a proportion of those things. So legally speaking, what I just mentioned, it applies to royalties and music. It is all the same jazz that we're talking about, but no one has a clue how to bring 
these dollars and cents margins, commissions. I would argue that AI is a little bit different. AI is a little bit different and this models the way they work because you can't monetize the use of it. They're, they're, they're constantly generating new content. You hit that generate button, it's going to generate something different every single time. So my copy is very different from yours, from somebody else's, from somebody else's. So it's not using that source content to generate the same copy, but it's actually, you, you don't know. Using the content for training is where the monetization comes in and, and putting a value in it, it's very different. So it's, it's like saying, I'm going to license this and now I'm going to put it as part of my machine, but it's one piece of, of that machine of the output. Like you don't get royalties in perpetuity, yeah. but because you produce the bolt or you put, you know, if we, if we think about it that way. So it's a little bit different, right? Just, just a second. So what you're saying is super important, everybody. What artist is saying sounds like this. Machine learning, data science, AI, it's usually two parts. Generate a model, you train. That's going to have dollars and cents. But the execution of the model, invoking the model, making a prediction can happen 27,000 billion times. And what artists is saying is that that shouldn't have dollars and cents. The model gets trained. Let's figure out that. And maybe with this lawsuit, we'll learn that. But the execution of the model should be exempt from whatever commercialization. Very interesting. I'll ponder on that because it does make sense. However, computationally speaking, you can make attribution of right. you know, it ran 17 billion times and what is the proportion that is invoking your training. So it can be done, but I do see your point. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you're building the engine. And, and so what this means is that it's going to set a precedence in how copyrighted material is used in AI training. If New York Times wins, it could lead to stricter regulations for use of copyrighted content in AI, potentially affecting the development of these AI technologies. One of the things that OpenAI calls out is that other countries have specific laws in place. They call out the use of copyrighted material, our fair use to use and train AI, particularly Japan and a few other countries that have actually come forward and put these laws in place in order to not prohibit the advancement of AI. My prediction is that we're going to go to a place where they're going to just settle and there's going to be some kind of monetization around it. But the legal framework here in the US is pro-technology and then the competition that they're facing from China and, and other countries in the advancement of AI, they're not going to want to restrict it in any way by content. So they're going to be more lenient towards open AI if this goes to court. I don't think it's going to go to court, but if it goes to court and it's going to take years for it to be resolved, by that time, we're going to be moved past it quite a bit. If you look at it in terms of higher education, it's like, well, what, what does it mean for organizations, leaders, and, and higher education to, for, to pay attention to this, right? Many higher education institutions, they use AI for different purposes right now. So like, like student recruiting, like we're talking about personalized learning, it's going to become more and more relevant. And that's something that we're talking in 2024 is going to be the adoption of this administrative tax. So if this lawsuit's result is stricter regulation of copyrighted material, it could affect those applications as well, but, but very, very slightly. And when you think about IP as well, it's going to be more of a public perception of AI rather than a impact on your day-to-day -day data and how that's being used. So that's going to be super important, the public perception. What, what do you think about that? I, I have a different angle. I, I don't disagree with what you're saying. 
But similar to what happened with GDPR, that the onus is on the provider, the differentiation between third party, I'm a user, I'm a vendor. I think something very similar. So my bullish forecast for universities is to not worry because this is going to be on the LLM providers, the generative AI provider, that they will have to have a licensing fee. And then what happens is that you will be paying more for this tool. You will be paying more for these services because maybe long-term, OpenAI, Microsoft, Google, Meta, whomever is providing that service to you needs to have some type of commercialization agreement and partnerships and that gets passed to us. Unless the university is deploying open source LLMs and generative AI, I would see that it's a problem or could be problematic. But when it comes to closed source, my expectation is passed to the price tag and it's all kind of behind the scenes. Yeah. Well, this is a story that's still to be written. We wanted to provide all of you an update today, given that this is very timely. OpenAI has responded. This is a milestone case that will determine what the impact on journalism and media and how we use this AI technologies. However, keep in mind that this lawsuit underscores balance between technological innovation and the protection of intellectual property rights. Balance is crucial for maintaining this healthy ecosystem of innovation can strive but also at the same time, creators are fairly compensated for their work. So we're going to have this tug of wars for a little bit as the legal frameworks are, are put into place. As it stands today, we don't have those yet, and they're going to play out in the months and years to come. We'll keep you updated throughout, of course, as these happenings are, are going on. All right, artists, this has been fun, and we will be watching. Everybody, important thing to keep tabs on, and we'll be here to narrate, comment, and give our tab. There you go.